It's a new dawn and a new day. And that means, unfortunately, it's time for a new episode of Death by DVD. I am Hank, the world's greatest. I will be your host on this installment. And this episode's subject matter is something that I regret almost immediately picking to do on the show. It's a real hog leg, if you know what I mean, and I don't think you do because not many people speak redneck ease. There's not many hillbilly to English dictionaries that you can use for Hank jargon, but it means it's gonna be really big. There's gonna be a lot of stuff jam-packed into this. A lot of information is going to be shoved in and around your eye and ear holes. Well, not so much your eye holes, but if you do choose to watch this movie, there hopefully will be a, a... Maybe it'll inspire you to view a lot more or read a lot more. Or maybe you won't even care once I announce what the movie is. I don't know. But we are going to be talking about a movie from 1988, directed by Paul Schrader, screenplay by Nicholas Kazan, and based on the book by Patricia Campbell Hurst, a film aptly titled Patty Hurst. And what's it about, do you ask? Oh, I'm glad you did. It's about Patty Hearst. Now, here lies one of the problems and why I immediately have begun regretting this idea. The themes and subject matter that we're going to be getting into are perfect for the political climate right now in the United States. And for all of our overseas listeners that are watching the United States burn down, get ready, because the far right's coming for everybody. And I don't mean to, like, say that maliciously, like old man yelling at Sky, but for real, the rise of fascism is alarming, I guess to me your humble host for this episode. It alarms good old Hank. And this is one of those things that really might open your eyes to the fact that, and throughout this episode, there's going to be several points. I don't feel I need to make them clear every time I make a point. I hope, educationally perhaps, you as the audience will be able to take and pick up on those points. But one that is very, 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 very important is this. And it is the fact that history, if forgotten, will continuously repeat itself. Because when you don't remember these awful things that happen, it's just a way for them to keep happening. And the people that allowed them to happen or coerced them to happen or forced them to happen, they're in power. And they're going to make it happen again and again and again and again and again because they can because you forget about it. Now, I can't chide everyone because it's not always a matter of forgetting, but I, I'm feeling really right now, as I've researched for the last couple weeks and, and immersed myself in Patty Hearst. Most people under 40 don't really remember her or know who she is. They might recognize the name from a John Waters film, but the SLA and Patty Hearst isn't really popular culture anymore which is very alarming. It's very scary because the political climate 
in which the story that you're going to learn tonight, you're going to hear all about the movie. And before we get into that, they'll have a real special treat, because this whole rant, it's going to go somewhere. You just hold on. The political climate was really no different. A heinous, evil man was president of the United States. And two weeks after the events that start off the story take place, he was brought up for impeachment. Now, the American people in 2021, 2020 rather, have done something a little bit differently than the people of 1972. The people of 1972 re-elected the evil, heinous man I'm talking about, Richard Milhouse, cocksucker, Nixon, I'm not fond of him, can you tell? As no American should be, I, I, I really think that there needs to be a line crossed, and people remember that line, and where we're living right now, it's just kind of baffling, because Watergate doesn't even seem like it was that much comparatively to the President of the United States trying to uh, incite a fucking coup. This is again why I kind of regret doing Patty Hearst, because... You're going to learn, whether you like it or not, a bit about me politically. Again, I'm not going to have to say these things. It's not going to be like the points that will be made throughout this show. If you don't get the points, now this is, this is where we might get into some interesting stuff here. If you don't get the points that I'm trying to make, then you might be a fascist. I don't know. I'm not going to point any fingers, but it's going to get spicy. It's going to be a, a real dill of a pickle. This episode, like I said, uh, <laughs> I immediately regret doing this, and, you know, it's too late now. I think most of American history can even be summed up as people forgetting the past and it just beginning to repeat itself over and over and over and over and over again. So before we dive deep into this movie, and it's a Paul Schrader flick, so right off the bat, you know it's got to be stylistic. You know it's going to look good. There's, there's really... <sighs> what Paul Schrader movie looks bad? That's the thing. I, I can name you... 15 that I think look good, I can't name one thing that looks bad. So, really, in my humble opinion, Paul Schrader doesn't really do bad work. He might do some boring stuff, some off-the-wall stuff. It might not completely appeal to my interest, but it always really looks good. So you know that much. If you don't know who Patty Hearst is, well, this is the beginning of the show, because we're going to do the who and the what. But I'm going to do the what first, because, you know, usually it's who, why, what, where. But while we go through the what... It's going to give us some names, and we're going to learn about those people when we get to the who. The where comes into both of those categories. And when we complete all that jibber-jabber... Cut out the jibber-jabber. Don't be babbling like a fool. Say what you got to say. That's all. Then shut your dang pie hole. We're going to get into the movie. And I know this sounds like it's going to be, you know, a, a walk through the desert with a horse with no name. That's not the song. I walked through the desert with a horse with no... I ran through the desert with a horse with no name. Did he, was he just in the desert with a horse with... Now, what the fuck are we talking about? This is no time for folk rock. <clears throat> we'll get somewhere. I, I, God, God help all of us, actually. I don't know where we're going to get. Just sit back and relax. I've got control, despite how scary that might be. And I'm going to learn you a thing or two. If you know a bunch of stuff about Patty Hearst, sit down and relax and just shut up. I don't... Just... Shh. Don't fast forward, just listen to it. You might learn something. Now, here's the here, this is going to be the difficult part. I obviously have opinions on the situation. The situation. I have opinions on this whole story, this case, the truth of the story and the case. And I say the truth not like I know it because I wasn't there, and, and to be honest, nobody ever will know the true truth to this because there are so many different sides to what happened, and, and nearly none of them are, are able to be heard anymore. Almost specifically... Patty's side is, is what is available, and Patty's side is what we will be getting into. 
But to pretense that, we gotta, you know, inform. I say we like somebody else is gonna pop up and talk for me, but it's just me, I'm sorry. No I, Alexander Nash, or J. Willie, who sounds strikingly like me, but isn't, I swear. I'll take that one to the grave. I'm not J. Willie. Oh, God, I could have picked something like Tremors and just talked about that, but instead, no, Patty Hearst. Let's do Patty Hearst. Any other Paul Schrader movie, really, which we'll talk about Paul later. So, the challenge at hand is attempting to present this information to you in an unbiased manner, but a lot of the information that I'm going to tell you before we even get into Patty Hearst, I want I want it to be a doorway. I want you to know some of these things that I, I, I'm going to tell you their proof. I've done research, and I and some of these instances won't always cite where I have found my information, but I believe it's widely available. I've got sources, and I won't ever say 100% trust me, because you should never trust anyone 100%. There's some advice from Death by DVD. Don't ever trust anybody, never, 100%. Always have your own free will. You know, I mean, I'm not saying to be some paranoid bastard with a tinfoil hat on, but... Keep your antenna up and be aware. Trust yourself more than anybody else. Maybe that sounds less fear and paranoia inducing. Trust yourself more than anyone else. But please fact check, look some of this information up if you are interested in learning more about the situation as I keep calling it. Patty Hearst, born February 20th, 1954, let's just read from Wikipedia, is an American author, an actress, and granddaughter of American publishing company William Randolph Hearst. So that's important. That is important. I was going to say, this is just kind of bullshit, blah, 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 blah. Patty Hearst was kidnapped in 1974 by an organization called the SLA. She was specifically kidnapped because she was the granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst, a family that one could say, one being me, has controlled propaganda in the media for many, 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 many years. This was something that is sentiment shared by the SLA. And who are these people? What does this acronym stand for, Hank? This show is going to have a great deal of acronyms on it. The SLA kidnapped Patty Hearst because two of their soldiers had been arrested and they wanted to do a prisoner exchange. Now, who are the SLA and why were two of their soldiers arrested? The SLA stands for the United Federated Forces of the Symbionese Liberation Army, shortened to SLA. They're an American organization that I think, interestingly enough, is referred to as one of the first left-wing domestic terrorist organizations. Isn't that a fun word, terrorism? It's a noun, and it is defined as the unlawful use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilians in the pursuit of political aims. Fair. That's fair enough. You could, in the later years of the SLA, accuse them of terrorism. The Symbionese Liberation Army proudly toted that the SLA will never die as long as there is one oppressed person left on the planet. Interestingly enough, they are called domestic terrorists. Now, there is just point to that. We'll get to the just point because we actually have to get into the movie where all of these things will be discussed and more. But terrorist. Domestic terrorist. These are terms that are incredibly important and they are mostly important to help identify hundreds of years later when people are reading about these awful acts that happen in history so they don't let them be repeated, that we know who the fucking bad guys are. In the United States of America, everyone is absolutely aware of what happened in Washington, D.C. A group of armed domestic terrorists invaded buildings that are literally considered holy to our democracy, to the United States democracy, and an attempted coup incited by the President of the United States of America, Donald Trump. But these 
Men and women are called armed protesters. These goons and thugs that looted Senate. They didn't just steal. They looted. They didn't borrow. They looted and tried to sell on eBay items from one of the most holy buildings in the United States. Capital, politics, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's not holy. It's not like fucking Vatican City. But when you take the aspect and the idea of democracy and what it stands for, I think it almost is something similar to the Holy Roman Rites. There is something very important that needs to be, uh, you know, body of Christ style acknowledged when it comes to the rights that you have in the United States as an American. Now, the Symbionese Liberation Army has a very, very interesting background, and this is where some of the questionable things, I guess you could say, I'm going to insert into your mind. And later on, I think these things are really going to make you question a lot of the reality, perhaps, to what's going on. But again, the movie we're going to discuss is directly from the perspective and point of view of the lead character, who is Patty Hearst. And we are going to be talking about a movie and the four walls of a movie. So what's happening here is just the history. You're getting the background at some point. That will help propel through the rest of the story. And then, hey, if you're interested in finding Patty Hearst, guess what? You can get yourself a copy from Vinegar Syndrome. All nice and shiny. A new restoration. It's even got an interview with Paul Schrader himself. The origins of the SLA have its ties all the way to the CIA. Now, isn't that funny? Every time terrorism or domestic terrorism is brought up, whose name's attached to it? That goddamn acronym, the CIA. Mujahideen, come on. We know who did that. And then there's ISIS, which is like super Al-Qaeda, which was just Mujahideen, and it's like, whoa, who's responsible for that? Oh, tricky-ass CIA, they did it too. Let's look at the people that stormed D.C. Now, who do you think is responsible for all that propaganda? Is it probably the CIA? I don't know, probably. It's probably the CIA. Now, I can't just, like, make blind accusations like that, I know, because this isn't some far-fucking-left political rambling podcast where I start shining up conspiracy theories and throwing it at you, but hey, here's some cold hard facts. A good portion of all the problems in the world, uh, CIA. CIA did it, is responsible for it. That Vietnam Part Two War that the United States was involved in, because there's two of them. There's the first Indo-Chinese War, then there's Vietnam Part Two. CIA, and fucking Kennedy, whatever. Uh, there's, <laughs> mamma mia, we are getting into so many different directions, but the early origins of the SLA can be identified and brought back to the CIA. little thing called Operation Chaos. The June 1975 report to the President by the Commissions on CIA Activities within the United States identifies Operation Chaos as a collector of information on dissident Americans. Its Project 1 was titled Acquiring Assets in the Peace and Black Power Movements in the United States. Project 2 of Operation Chaos began in late 1969. Read in part, individuals without existing dissident affiliation would be recruited and after recruitment would acquire the theory and jargon and make acquaintances in the new left while attending school in the United States. So, the idea was to recruit agents who would penetrate the various radical groups. And there was no better recruiting ground than the black power movement inside prison. A former CIA spook named Colston Westbrook, was teaching at Berkeley, and he was teaching Afro-American studies at Berkeley, and this is where the key to the SLA kind of came forward. A guy named Willie Wolfe, who would later take on the war name of Kajo, which was bastardized and lost in the news as Cujo, something that good old Steve Z. King lifted for the infamous novel Cujo. He was obsessed with the SLA. Gotta give credit to old Steve. Weather Underground, all those guys. 
Really interesting stuff. It shows up through a, a lot of his work in the late 70s and 80s, references to these radical groups. I'm not going to call the SLA terrorists. I will agree when we get to that point that some of the activities committed by them later on is obviously terroristic. But well, there's a whole fucking loophole and, and who was in charge of shit. We'll get to the shit. We'll get to that shit before we, we finish, or after we finish this. Pardon me, because we're educating. Willie really is the key to everything, because everyone that eventually became core members of the SLA, they knew him. They knew him from school, they knew him from his involvement with the prison programs, which there are two major ones that were radical left-wing groups that were both visiting inmates in the California penitentiary system at the time. The Vincermos Organization and the BCA, Black Cultural Association. And these were both visiting inmates in Soledad Prison, where a man named Donald DeFreeze, who would be better and more infamously known, and I'm going to refer to him as his war name, Q was serving time. And this was no average criminal. But we'll get to the who in just a little bit, because we're still doing the what. This happens all the time on the show, doesn't it? These organizations would come into the prison systems and would teach Maoism. They would teach urban guerrilla-style warfare, things like the Tupamaros, which there was a, a full-length film showing what these guys were doing out in Uruguay, kind of Robin Hood-style robbing the rich to give back to the poor to help destroy fascism by the community coming together and, and joining one another. And this was being taught to the inmates, mostly predominantly African-Americans and African-Americans that did not have major affiliations. DeFries had minor involvement with the black guerrilla family and the Black Panther Party, but he, for his own, was just on his own. Incredibly intelligent person. So the SLA hasn't even really formed yet. You have a college student named Willie Wolf with a lot of his radical college friends, all of these people. The thing is, and what you have to look specifically about this generation and radicalism in the late 60s and the 1970s, is this is a generation of people who, uh, just years ago, their parents were defeating Hitler. Their parents were fighting the rise of fascism and Nazism, and then you move into the United States with people like Richard Nixon and Johnson and Kissinger, the war in Vietnam. Suddenly, the United States has become Hitler. Suddenly, it's become the Nazis. Going back to my theme of history repeating itself the last four years, the rise of fascism is, is more horrifying now than I even think it was in the 1970s. The villains of the 70s, like Richard Nixon, they don't seem anywhere near as heinous as somebody like Donald Trump or the future, unfortunately, that Donald Trump could stir up and bring about because now you can see within the Senate of the United States some of these snakes, some of these evil, vile people that truly only care about their own well-being and moving up a figurative ladder, and they do not care about the American people, they do not care about the health of the American people, and they do not care about freedom. They don't care about the actual essence of what this country is and how sacred voting is and how sacred the right to an election is. Specifically the fact that almost every election in the United States is fucked up somehow. There always is some form of interference, and for once... We actually had a pretty honest and decent election, and we have these buffoons standing up lying to the public, lying to people that are easily led. It's fake. Fuck, they, we don't have proof, but it's fake. This is called fascism, and this is a, a beast that is preying upon all of us. Now, like I said, everything is CIA-backed, and there's a lot of dubious information when it comes to this. When you get to the FBI files, when you watch movies about Patty Hearst, like the one we're going to be discussing... But I mean like documentaries. When you look up the case on Wikipedia, you don't really get a lot of, well, 
all this connects back to government agencies around that exact same time period that crack was introduced to inner city neighborhoods and literally in declassified paperwork from the Nixon administration we have found out that they tried with all their darndest might to destroy the African-American community of the United States of America. All this and more happening right around the same time. The political climate is absolutely fucking insane as it is right now because you have to imagine being a black person in the United States of America. Probably you, you feel genuinely hunted. I think you feel ostracized from the world, especially any white community, because time and time again for the white man to step up and do something about the situation has just proven the white man doesn't care. And again, going back to what happened in D.C. recently, we can clearly see that the police know how to not be violent. Really bad time to prove that, that you guys can actually not use violent force. And it's been said by Joe Biden, it's been said by everyone. I just want to instill and say it again. If all of these people had been of color that stormed the White House, it would have been a fucking massacre. Hundreds would have been dead. What you have here is a lot of jaded children who are very mad at their parents, they're very mad at the world that their parents have left for them and have essentially created for them. And it's not just enough to teach. It's not just enough to be revolutionary. And what really came to mind here was what if we could get one of these political prisoners? And you've got to take into consideration that, you know, Every African-American in California serving time, the SLA considered to be political prisoners. And there is some credence to that. There, there, there is. But a lot that has to deal with the SLA and the story that we are going to be getting into and that I'm telling you right now is romanticized bullshit. And I'm not going to attempt to romanticize it any more than it already has been, but still, there is some sympathy for the devil. I guess you could say. So what better way to really put your radicalism on the map? than to uh, free a political prisoner, and that's kind of... It's all really Willy Wolf. It's all Cujo's child. Uh, you know, his, his idea is, is what I mean by the term child. So that's exactly what they did. They busted out Donald DeFreeze, and by busted out, he was on a work program and walked off of it. So what is the SLA? What have I, what have I taught you guys so far? Just what the acronym stands for and a couple of people's names. Told you a little bit about what they believed in, Sort of. The SLA will never die as long as there is one oppressed person. Yeah, that sounds really sweet and, and really pretty. There, are, there, there were and are many more meetings as to what they were behind. And the Manifesto, Symbionese Liberation Army Declaration of Revolutionary War and the Symbionese Program, written by Donald DeFries, he states that the name Symbionese is taken from the word symbiosis. And we define its meaning as a body of dissimilar bodies and organisms living in deep and loving harmony and partnership in the best interest of within the body. Again, it sounds good, it sounds cool on paper, but what is it? Power for the people, power to the people. You can put political ideologies on anything. They were heavily inspired by Che, Willie Wolf especially. And despite standing and, and being motivated completely by black power, Sin Q was the only African-American member of the SLA. The symbol of this organization was a seven-headed cobra, each head standing for the principles of Kwanzaa. Unity, self-determination, collective work and responsibility, cooperative economics, purpose, creativity, and faith. What Sin Q tried to organize was a 
collective that would take the world, that would change the face of the world, would be for the people, by the people, feed the people, protect the people. Again, all of this sounds great on paper, but this is not what happened, and this is not what became factual. Now, the SLA had no name. Donald DeFreeze escapes from prison, immediately goes on the run, and is being hidden by Willie Wolf and company. The first members, really, was somebody named Ms. Moon and SinQ himself, where they were hiding out, and I guess the formation truly began. I still stick to the fact that none of this would have been in existence if it wasn't for Willie Wolf being the connective piece of all of these people. Everyone knew Willie, and all of these things came together through his ambition. From here on out, the pretty on paper aspects of the SLA completely degrades. And now, I think might be a good time for us to get into The Who. We've brought up a lot of names. Donald DeFreeze being one of the most important, because he is, despite Willie Wolf connecting things, DeFreeze is the think tank behind everything, I guess you could say. Before his radical future entered his life, he was just a man from Cleveland. He had four children. He worked. He wasn't just, as the media tends to paint him, a career crook. That did come later in life, and still, he wasn't an average pimp. He wasn't what you would just assume to be somebody that got in trouble, which is what the media used. They used a black man and let that fill, especially in places like the South, people's minds of what he was beforehand without saying, actually, he was just affected by capitalism, went to prison, ended up learning all of these radical things while in prison. Imagine that. We send people to this place. We send people to internment camps, pretty much, and that's where they end up learning all of this. And all of this is run by the state. All of this is controlled by the state. So where is this information coming from? It, it really just kind of makes me feel, oh, it's coming from the state. Uh-oh. And where is it coming from? Outside of that, who else is controlling it? And how deep does it go? Now, I know I said I'm not going to have a tinfoil hat on here, but there are a lot of things that you need to think about when it comes to this case. And when the terms domestic terrorism are used... It's domestic, it's inside of this, and this happened in the 70s. Obviously something like this, I mean, they say this was the first time it happened. But insurrection in itself is American. I mean, how did we revolt if it wasn't considered a form of insurrection against the British? You see where I'm going with this? I, I know if you don't, it's fine. I make the SLA sound like they were a commune holding hands. It was the Symbionese Liberation Army. The motivation behind, even in the formation, was war against fascism, the police being the arm of fascism, the death of the police, death to pigs in general, a heavy motivation behind the SLA. So again, they weren't out picking roses. They weren't minding their own business. There was absolute radical actions. And DeFreeze, previously, his arrests weren't small time. I mean, at one point, uh, the arrest leading to his imprisonment, he had been found with over 400 guns. So that does kind of lead you to think, well, did he just learn all this radicalization in prison? What was going on beforehand? There's a lot of these little interesting facts that you start picking up along the way when you're researching these people and you start falling into the rabbit hole. One of the very, very, very most interesting things is the fact that Patty Hearst visited Donald DeFreeze a year before, multiple times, not just like once, a year before her kidnapping. Isn't that absolutely wild? She was one of many students from Berkeley that had gone to visit him. Willie Wolf himself was a student from Berkeley. And that's not hearsay, and I'm not pulling that out of my ass. The FBI investigated it. An article from the Ann Arbor Sun 
January 22nd, 1976, even mentions, there are trailers set up at Vacaville, which is the prison, for privacy of trustees' wives when they come to visit their husbands. Somehow, DeFreeze was granted access. He apparently had private meetings there with Patty Hearst, Nancy Perry, and other eventual SLA comrades. Then, in December 1972, Colston Westbrook resigned from the BCA. Remember, we talked about that guy, Colston Westbrook, and his supposed outrage at the visiting self-taught commies. DeFreeze was transferred to Soledad. He had been inside Vacaville normally on a 90-day holding tank for prison and transition for three years. At Soledad, once again, he would gain access to the trustee visitation house, and renew a brief relationship with bum-bum-bum Patty Hearst. And this is before she gets kidnapped. My, 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 how the turntables. And I said earlier, the reason I'm informing you on, on this information is so when we dive into the body of the movie, you can ask questions. You, you can ask yourself these questions, and if you decide to go on a quest of learning about this or find the movie, you have an ability to question authority, and what you're given as the authority is the story of Patty Hearst, which I'm not saying I doubt, and that's not what this is about. I'm telling you information that I have learned. I'm talking about the Symbionese Liberation Army and open free information that anyone with the internet can find. So upon escaping from prison, Donald DeFreeze changes his name to Sin Q and gives himself the rank of General Field Marshal, Sin Q being the name of the lead slave on the rebellion of the slave ship Amistad, a very righteous name and symbolic, I believe, of his efforts, despite having, at this point and till the end of his life, a crew of suburban honkies that just wanted change, but they didn't have any idea behind it. The problem with being radicalized at some points is you have all this theory, and that's what you have. You have this Maoist theory, and you can sit down and read Trotsky, and you can read Marx and Engels, and everything is a theory, and you can go to Castro and Che Guevara. You can read the handbooks, you can read the guerrilla warfare, and all it is is theory. When you practice it and try to apply it in a society that is afraid of something like that, there's nothing you can do. Because even liberals will always end up going for the fascists. Liberals will protect the fascists because socialism is against capital, and that's uh, even at the farthest extent of what we have right now of this left-wing. Uh, people like Nancy Pelosi, they will always go back to fascism, and they will always have that representation because 100% socialism is against capital. And in theory, everything is precious and works and sounds absolutely great until it's put into action, and this is really where things become problematic and uh, almost sorrowful with the SLA. The members of the SLA all pick war names. Emily Harris becomes Yolanda. William Harris becomes Tico. Nancy Ling Perry becomes Fahija. Camilla Hall becomes Gabi. Patricia Stalsik becomes Ms. Moon. Angela Atwood becomes Galena. And Willie Wolf, of course, Kajo. And we just went over General Field Marshal Sin Q. You also have Joseph Romero, who is known by Bo, and Russell Little, it was known as Aussie. And this is where the woeful aspect of things truly begin. The SLA assassinated a man named Dr. Marcus Foster, the first African-American head of education in his area, I believe in California in general. He was forced to introduce a system that would just be name tags, identification system for the students, and he wasn't even 100% for it and had offered a different style. The SLA considered this to be terrorism, and Sin Q considered Marcus to be a puppet for the police state, that he was put in power to convince black people that you could trust the police, and he was grisly assassinated. The SLA began something that they became infamous for, releasing communiques, as they called them. To those who would bear the hopes and future of our people, 
let the voice of their guns express the words of freedom. Greetings to the people, comrades, sisters, and brothers. General Phil Marshall Sin speaking. To the media taking claim immediately for the murder, and, and people just didn't understand. I mean, the media itself thought it was some right-wing fringe group that had attacked. Coming to find out that it was the SLA, something that seemingly stood for black power, it, it baffled most of them. And here's where the genius of things really comes into play here, and here is, uh, I guess, the beauty also of some of the things here. Those names I just gave you, that was the SLA. Later on, of course, there are other members, Patty Hearst, Wendy Yoshimura, who also had ties, was a former member of the Revolutionary Army, prior to Willie Brandt's incarceration. But those names, that is the SLA. Since you had managed to convince the world, not just the FBI, not just the CIA, but the world, that there were armed cells, hundreds if not thousands of SLA members waiting in attack squads, waiting to take the world back, and they were genuinely afraid of him. The world was afraid of Q. And anything you read about this now, and I, I, to, I keep bringing up the Wikipedia article just because it's uh, so censored. It's, it's so bafflingly dull and leaves out so much actual real information that I think is important for people to acknowledge and study the who, what, when, and where of what happened. The world was afraid of this man. The world truly, for at least a year, thought the SLA was armed and waiting. And what were they armed and waiting, and what, what, what did they want? At this point, it, it truly isn't clear. The genius behind it, and at this point is, is you know, where I'm at in the story, it's truly not clear. The genius behind it, though, is how this managed to all come about. How this one man, Sin Q, managed to form all of this and terrify the entire world. Many, many people, including Huey Newton, will say they don't agree with the actions committed by the SLA, but their meaning, there's not much wrong with. In fact, Newton wrote an open letter stating that the Black Panther Party were not affiliated with the Symbionese Liberation Army, but the problem was real, and that they had tried to feed the poor. We've not gotten there yet, but you even have a semblance of kinship with many other organizations, the Black Gorilla Family, the Black Panther Party, uh, people in the Pan-African movement in general. But outside of that, you had a lot of genuine honkies, a lot of youth, a lot of people that, as I said, were disillusioned with the fact that they came from a generation that helped destroy fascism and were watching their country quickly become fascists. The SLA was embraced, even though the absolute awful nature of, of the Marcus Foster murder. But that quickly was skirted underneath the rug because after the Marcus Foster murder, drumroll, the kidnapping of Patty Hearst. I think finally we have come full circle here. And it, it's really hard because obviously I said I wasn't going to try and have any bias, but I, I had quite a lot um, of, of my own bias on this situation. But two of the facts that I've told you I think are really important to take into consideration, and these are two things that I stand by, one of which is Patty Hearst definitely was visiting people that would become major players in the SLA before her kidnapping. And two... Anything that you can link to domestic terrorism or terrorism in the last 50 years, it's the CIA. Look at the CIA, look in their direction. They are responsible one way or another. Whew, man, seriously, could have just talked about tremors. We would have been done with this by now. I mean, how many Michael Gross facts could I fill in an hour-long show? I don't know, probably a lot, actually. I'm always a surprise. 
I think more than anything, I, I've come off more sympathetic to the SLA. I, I haven't passed a lot of judgment on them, and it is necessary to do so because a lot of the acts that were committed by them are, are just completely atrocious. And we don't need to like glide over the murder of Marcus Foster. It, it, it was devastating and completely senseless, and it matches some of the later behavior of the SLA. Not a lot of thought was put into things. And I mean, you know, I have to I have to take that back though because uh, when you look at what Sinq was trying to do and his his perspective and his point of view, there's no sensibility to it. Okay, first things fucking last. There's never sensibility to 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 murder and especially shotgunning somebody down in the dark of night. There is there's not. But it wasn't some blind call for attention. They could have had so there there were so many other targets that they could have taken out if they wanted to draw specific attention to themselves. That was something specific. We we just don't know that side of the story and here lies another horrible problem as to why I regret doing Patty Hearst. There are and I've talked about this briefly, but there are so many sides to this and we're just not able to get those sides anymore. We have Patties and that's we have patties and the surviving SLA members and none of them cooperate one another none of them fit with one another and we just don't know the truth behind it we just don't really know why Sinku ordered this hit and 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 partook in it and and why it went down but this led to the arrest of Joseph Romero Bo and Russell Little Aussie they were cruising around town and got arrested with some SLA propaganda they had guns on them and they became the poster boys they were immediately arrested two people that had never once in their entire early bourgeoisie life served a day in jail uh, in 24 hours were sent to San Quentin and they didn't snitch at first I'm sure you know (laughs) years later when when shit really hit the fan uh, there was probably a whole lot of snitching and everybody rolled over that could but they stuck fucking to it The SLA didn't take this lightly whatsoever, so they ordered a warrant for the arrest of the granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst. On February 4th, 1974, the SLA kidnaps Patty Hearst. She's kidnapped from her Berkeley residence, where they kick the living, loving shit out of her fiancé. Many people ask, how did they know where to find her? She had published her engagement vows. And it let the whole world know the area she lived in. But then we can go back to that whole thing that there is a good deal of evidence that Patty had visited Sinku in prison a year before her kidnapping. So I don't know what to believe. This isn't the point, though. I'm just allowing you to go into this with every angle available to you. Now, just to point out some of the buffoonery of the FBI found in an abandoned SLA safe house were plans to kidnap Patty on January 17th, and they, they the FBI did nothing about it. She's taken on February 4th, and the specific and sole reason that Patty Hearst has been kidnapped is for a prisoner release. The SLA has taken the granddaughter of one of the richest men in the United States of America, one of the richest men in the world, and a man that's responsible for a great deal of propaganda. Then-Governor Ronald Reagan immediately shoots this down. And the SLA had already been given the title of terrorist, so one can only be led to think that Reagan did what he did throughout his presidency, and I'm not gonna, not gonna talk to you terrorists, I'm not gonna deal with this. A lot of the problems that came to be with the immediate kidnapping of Patty Hearst and the weeks to follow that could have easily been solved by the Hearsts, the California Police Department, and Ronald Reagan himself, and they, they allowed it to escalate. As always, they pushed the situation. Now, the, the demands and the things that SLA wanted, of course, could be considered unreasonable. But if you consider feeding and clothing the poor completely unreasonable, oh well. Like I said at the beginning of the show, you might be a fucking fascist. I don't know! And I guess with that, we are done with the who and the what.
And the where, it, it's California. That one wasn't that long. Didn't take long to get that information out. God, I could have talked about trimmers and trimmers too at this point and been done. <laughs> now we can begin the story of Patty Hearst and her own words. And believe it or not, that was the abridged who, what, when, and where. I think what makes this increasingly difficult is the amount of information that is available. And, of course, when this first happened, none of this was. FBI files that are declassified years later. The internet being able to find all these articles, being able to find all the communiques from the SLA and hear their words and hear the police words and immerse yourself into this subject matter, it becomes really, really hard to... I wouldn't say pick a side, but be able to tell the story without including as much of this information as possible. And, and where this becomes kind of a rabbit hole that we're going to get lost into is most of it's not relevant or important to the fact of the movie. And I tell you all of these things, so at least if you do decide to watch this or venture into the world of Patty Hearst and the SLA, you'll have these things in your head. You'll be able to recognize and maybe have some acknowledgement that not everything reported in the media, not all the sensationalism that you are given by the media is 100% true. And that will come very handy when we discuss Patty herself and when we discuss the, the SLA and what we are shown of them in Paul Schrader's film. Because the real Patty Hearst is just that, is, is, a, is a person, is real. All of these people were real. All of these things, I think, need to be taken outside of the four walls of film and actually really looked at and examined here, not just in a, a, I like true crime and I think it's neat, but this is quote-unquote domestic terrorism from the left in the United States, and this is a term that is so easily applied to people, what, because it's led by a black guy? We cannot call the people that raided fucking Senate domestic terrorists, but the SLA. Ah, see, there is so much we haven't gotten into yet, but, unfortunately... That's the end. The end of our little history lesson and this episode. That's right. I'll pull a little sneaky on you. This is part one of the Patty Hearst extravaganza. No. That's a horrible title. Cowboy Patty and her wild ride with the SLA. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna, I'll come up with something later. I will come up with something later. But yes, this is the end. Teased you with all the information, and right when we get into the movie, it's the end. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry! But I hope this piqued your interest, and you'll stay tuned for the next installment. Until then, the ashtray is full, and the bottle is empty. Be sure to follow us on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just search for Death by DVD. Keep your eyes peeled for Patty Hearst in her own words, part two. Or rather... Patty Hearst, in my own words, it'll be sooner than you think. The Death by DVD Daily is every day on Facebook and Twitter. Oodles of fun for everyone. And with that, have a pleasant tomorrow. I am done getting my name kicked up higher on an FBI watch list. Shit. Oh, yeah. And before we forget... Here's another exciting round of Keith David or David Keith. Let's get it on.
In 1987's British thriller, White of the Eyes, who plays a sound expert installing hi-fi systems in wealthy people's homes, who also is under investigation for a series of murders throughout the area of Globe, Arizona. Is it David Keith or Keith David? It's David Keith. Thanks for playing another round of Keith David or David Keith. Until next time, goodbye and good luck. recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. Also, I would like to emphasize that I am alive and that I am well and that uh, in spite of what certain tape experts seem to think, I am, I mean, I'm fine. And uh, it's really depressing, though, to hear people talk about me like I'm dead. And, uh, you know, I just, I can't explain what that's like. What it does also is that it, it begins to convince other people that maybe I am dead. And, um, and when everybody is convinced that I am dead, well, then it gives the FBI an excuse to come in here and try to pull me out. And uh, I'm sure that Mr. Bates understands that uh, if the FBI has to come in and get me out by force, that they won't have time to decide who not to kill. They'll just have to kill everyone. And um, I don't particularly want to die that way. And I like Death by DDD. It's a statement. the poor.